Our scripture reading comes from uh, Galatians, the first chapter, and I'll be reading the first through the twelfth verse. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father in whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under a God's curse. As we have already said so now, and I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by the revelation from Jesus Christ. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. amen. I have to admit that I am excited about this summer. Uh, I'm a lectionary preacher and uh, as I'm going through my development, uh, I started when I first got my appointment, my first appointment, I decided that I wanted to start preaching the lectionary. Uh, number one, because it's I save time and worrying about what I need to preach about. You know, you have at least four scriptures every Sunday that you can pick from to read a psalm, an Old Testament, a gospel passage, and an epistle, um, or some other New Testament reading. So uh, that, that saves time, but I'm excited because also this summer we are going to be walking through Galatians uh, for the next couple of weeks probably longer than a couple, but uh, I'm excited because it's also, I, I enjoy the lectionary because I feel something that is lacking in the church today is biblical literacy. And I fault even those who are teaching the teachers. I have taken different classes, and I took one class that was titled Teaching the Bible in the Local Church. So I'm pursuing my MDiv teaching the Bible in the local church. And the teacher went around, and after we did our introductions and everybody said who they were and where they're from and what kind of degree plan they're pursuing and all of that, in this class, they asked, what do we feel like we needed to improve upon? And I said, I need to improve upon my biblical literacy. I don't fancy myself the, the, the biggest Bible scholar. I, I do enough studying and, and prayer and meditation and reading devotions, and then I also do some studying before I prepare the message, but I, I admire those who have been preaching so long that it's just in them. The Bible is just in them. 
I admire the pastors. I'm, I'm technologically sound, so I come up here with an iPad with my notes and everything, but I admire some of the pastors like uh, Reverend Barksdale for, uh, for the matter. He came up and opened up his Bible, and that's all he had. And that's all he needed. I admire preaching like that, so when I want to be able to internalize Scripture, and the only way to internalize it, or one of the ways to internalize it, is to study and so if I preach the lectionary for the next couple years, rotating through the scriptures, I feel like I will gain that biblical literacy. That wasn't part of the sermon. I just wanted to put that out there sometimes, share with the people what's going on up here in my mind and in my heart as I preach. And so I admire biblical literacy. But this professor in the teaching the Bible class said, I don't put a value on biblical literacy. Teaching the Bible and the teacher of the teaching the Bible class doesn't really care how much Bible the teachers of the Bible know. Biblical literacy is important because if you are not biblically literate, somebody can get up here and tell you anything and you believe it because the pastor said it, and the pastor must know best. I'm not saying you disrespect people who are in authority over you. I'm just saying you should be able to test and prove whatever they say. And so here we have uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia, and again, he has to get some church mess straight. He's got a standard greeting, uh, one of the often repeated phrases, grace and peace. And, and, and that's a common Pauline greeting. You find it in Philippians and Romans, First and Second Corinthians, the Thessalonians. It's grace and peace. That's what he says whenever he begins his sentence. And I am admired, I find it interesting that he starts off in his greeting, in his salutation, immediately taking care of business. You know, there are those when they got something on their mind, they're going to get through the high real quick and go right into what they had to say. So he says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but from Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters that are with him. Paul is in here telling right after his typical greeting, or during his typical greeting, he's telling them right off the bat, his status in the kingdom did not come from man. An apostle means one who was sent. And oftentimes we get caught up as a people, we get caught up in the position, but not the purpose. We, we think about the title that we have to work, but we don't think about the mission that comes behind it. Anytime you get something, you're supposed to be using it for the benefit of the kingdom, not just to put it on your resume. You can get a bunch of letters behind your name. You can get a nice little title. You can get a promotion. You can get all these things. But what are you doing with it? I've been seeing a lot of illustrations about it that kind of drive it home. There was one illustration I saw where there were two people, uh, at, well, there was a person rather giving a presentation at a conference, and he asked somebody to sing Amazing Grace. And he sang it just through, just amazing grace, how sweet, just straight through. And then he asked him to sing it like he was at his grandmother's funeral. 
And when he sang it like that, he sang that song hard. And what he was saying at the time, the illustration that he was trying to make was he had to have the why. The why made the what that much more powerful. Got convicted myself again when I was listening to another illustration about uh, a preacher's conference. And somebody stood up and said, I want my church to grow. Pray for me, pastors, because I want my church to grow. And the pastor that was over the conference asked him, why? And the pastor who asked for the, the prayers did not have an answer for why. And he said, until you have an answer for why, you'll never get your what. So we ought to think about the why that we do these things and what we use them for and not just the title. So Paul didn't want to be an apostle just so he could wear something fancy at church. He didn't want to be apostle so people could, he could mandate that people address him as an apostle. He wanted to be an apostle because he was sent by Jesus Christ to teach people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. His status did not come from the kingdom. I mean, from the man. His status in the kingdom did not come from man. It came from Jesus Christ. And I find it interesting that he had to tell this in the church at Galatia because he doesn't have to tell anybody else this in any other text. Uh, he doesn't make that example in Romans, Colossians, or, or, or First and Second Corinthians, or First and Second Timothy, or Titus. He just says he's Paul an apostle sometimes, but then he had to tell them, just so you know, just because y'all have this mess going on within the church, I want you to know that this authority did not come from man. It came from God. Just in case you want to question it, don't address me. Address where I got my authority from. Take it to the source. But he sent it. He lets them know where he got his power from. And not only where he got his power from, but to let them know that this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So just in case you have a question about my qualifications, that's okay. Question my qualifications if you want to. But let's question the source's qualifications. If it was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, that should be good enough. This is the Savior in glory. That's what the letter is coming from. Paul's coming from, uh, his power is coming from the Savior in glory. He died to save us, and he died to sanctify us. Amen? He died to save us, rather, and he lives to sanctify us. That's not where the story ends. He's coming back, and we need to be prepared. We ought to be ready. We want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not depart from me, I know you not. So we talk about the death and the, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is very important, but we have to go, that's the beginning, that's the commencement, that's how we go on. There's more to come, and that more to come is that he is coming back. So he wrote this letter to the saints in Galatia, and he got his authority from the Savior in glory, but Paul has some grief. Let the church say grief. Uh, he's got a concern. Paul is grieved or grieving that the saints in Galatia have turned from the gospel of grace into the bondage of law. They have turned their backs on God's grace. It's like a defection or a departure. They have left what Paul had taught them. 
And it's interesting, I had to, when I was researching this, something that I did not realize because the, all the notes talk about a different gospel, but there's a little nuance in them mentioning a different gospel. Uh, during that time, uh, uh, the, during the Bible times, there, were, there, were, there was Roman oppression. And a lot of these words that we use, Lord, Savior, Gospel, these things were being put out by the Romans as well. And so that little nuance, when they talked about Gospels, they were talking about the Gospels, plural, of the Roman emperors. Because they were talking about what kind of saving they had done. And, and, and that these Roman emperors and these Roman military leaders, they were your Lord and Savior. And Paul was trying to tell these people that there's a different Lord and Savior. And I say that there's a little nuance in this because the Gospels, plural, is what they would use to refer to these Roman emperors. But when you use gospel, singular, no S on it, you are talking about Jesus. And so here he says that they have turned away to another gospel. Meaning that the people that was causing the mess in the church, the people that were, God, the, the people that were causing the mess in the church, the people that were trying to get these people to turn to another gospel were actually Christians. So the mess was not coming from the outside. The mess was coming from the inside. Sometimes in a battle, your biggest enemy is wearing the same uniform as you. You had people that were in the church causing the strife. What was the strife that they were causing? They wanted things done their way. Here you had this person coming in teaching, teaching about Jesus Christ and the pardoning of their sins. And you had another group of people that felt like, no, they need to go ahead and go all the way through the Jewish conversion first, get, get circumcised, go through all of that, then accept Jesus. It wasn't good enough for them to accept Jesus where they were at. They needed to go through their way. And sometimes the biggest problem is the churches, we have people that sit on the side that want something done their way. And if you didn't do it their way, there's something wrong with it. They mean well. They think they mean well because they want you to be saved and they feel that they're saved as well, but they want you to be saved their way. They want you to follow their way or adhere to their laws. And if you are not doing it their way, it must be wrong. And so they were offering another gospel as if Jesus' saving power was not enough. You needed something extra on top of that. As if God, die, as if God sending Jesus to die for our sins was not enough to pardon your sins, we want you to follow these laws as well. We want you to go the way we got it. Because we were born into it and because you weren't born into it, you're not good enough just yet. But we got a nice little process that you can go to on top of the gospel that will make you all right. But Christ is enough. And that is unfortunate that sometimes the biggest confusion comes from in the church. I have a couple of friends that I have uh, colleagues that I've uh, met that uh, have come behind me at one of the churches I used to work at. Uh, 
pastor at any given time when he was working in audio and visual production would be working at up to three churches at the same time. I go to this church on Sunday, this one on Wednesday during the day, this one on Wednesday evening. I had to get what I had to do what I had to do, drive to Beaumont to go work at this church, do what I had to do to feed the family. And I enjoyed it. But there are people now that have come behind me at some of these churches, and some of them have come behind me very young. Very young. I wasn't the oldest when I was working professionally in AV production at the church, but I wasn't as young as them. These people are teenagers in some tribe. And so I'm, I make light of it when I see them, but I ask them, hey, how you doing? I'm fine, sir. Do you still love Jesus? Yes, I still love Jesus. And sometimes they think it's funny, but I had to explain to them that I'm serious when I ask this because a lot of people, when they get involved in the church, when they start working for a church, get their feelings and their faith hurt. Church hurt is the worst hurt because you let your guard down when you come in here, not realizing that some people have got their guards up. You expose your back not understanding that sometimes people have a knife in it. And sometimes it's not even intentional. It's just you putting a lot of people in different positions together and things don't gel as well as we would think. And so there becomes church hurt. Some of the most angriest atheists I know used to work for the church. And it's confusion like this. You're not good enough. You're not following the gospel the way we think. I don't think this person should be in that position. Those kind of things hurt. And so here you have the people in the church, in the church of Galatians, causing this confusion. They won't let go of their old way. Some of you may have noticed pastors walking around a little gingerly today. I've uh, been on a mission to lose about 10 pounds a month. I started off at 244, and I'm down to 220 right now. And I'm on my way. I want to be. The goal is 180. Now, they say that somebody my height should really only be 160. I don't think that's going to happen pastor likes to stake a little bit too much and pastor got a little bit of muscle tone on him so I don't want to lose all that but I'm okay losing the fat but pastor is walking around a little gingerly right now because I decided to get in some track workout this morning and I know better because I had been running track since I was in middle school both for the school and for the junior olympics I was raised in a track family. My mama would come to track practice and outdo the coach. I could not beat my mama in a foot race even though I was a varsity athlete that went to state three times in a row. I couldn't beat her in a foot race until I was 18. And when I finally came back to the track team and told them I beat my mom, they said she must have let you win. So I know better. I know that there are certain warm-ups you need to do before you get out there and start running. Certain stretching exercises, certain paces, certain footwork drills. But I didn't do that. I got right out there and hit the first lap and then did another exercise. It was called straights and curves where you run the straight and jog the curve or walk the curve. And on my fourth straight, I felt that ting. I stopped because I knew what it was. I had strained my hamstring. 
But I say I knew better because I did not warm up beforehand. And I brought up that example to say that inflexibility in one area will cause pain in another. Being too stiff in one area and not willing to change may not hurt you in that area you want to be stiff in, but it's going to cause pain in the other. My quads, which are the front of my legs, are stiff. And because I did not warm them up properly, the hamstring, which is the back of my leg, got dragged along a little too fast. And it tweaked. Inflexibility in one area does not always affect that immediate area. Everything is designed to work together. And so when you hurt one thing or you don't do right by one thing, you may not, you might be okay there. You may get a pass there, but it's going to come back around somewhere else. And so they were stiff in the law. And because they were stiff in thinking that they were adhering to the law, they were hurting the church. They had departed from what was taught. They had departed from what they accepted. I read a quote from John Wesley that said this as well. He said, uh, it is dangerous to depart from Scripture. Most of the controversies which have disturbed the church have arisen from people's wanting to be wise about what is written and not contend with what God has plainly revealed there. John Wesley said that in the 1700s. And yet today, we are still having that problem. People think they know more than the Bible. What a sad state that we have come to. Not only that, but people who are taught to teach the Bible think they know more than the Bible. This Bible is not Luby's. It's not Piccadilly's. It's not Ryan's. It's not Golden Corral. You can't walk through it and pick out this and leave that on the table. And I'm not going to talk about this, but I'm going to address that. No. Yes, the Bible was written by multiple different authors. And there's a thesis in there. And that thesis that they're getting to is that Jesus saves. The part you don't like and the part you like go together. Matter of fact, the part you like wouldn't be the part you like if there wasn't a part that you did not like. So we depart from that. And that is why I say all that time, yes, I'm up here teaching. But you ought to be able to go back and verify everything I said. I'm shocked at some of the things I read about in different churches and the things that they get away with because they, they say what they want to say and people take it. And culturally, I have to be mindful of what it is because particularly in the black church, pastors have been given a great amount of authority. Carter G. Woodson wrote in The Miseducation of the Negro that the only two things that you could be good at right after segregation without dying was a preacher or a teacher. If you were a great businessman during that time, your business was going to land on fire. Black Wall Street, Greenwood Avenue, millions of dollars going through all of those businesses, and then they just bombed it. So preachers and teachers were the biggest 
influences of culture. And so we've had like a 50 to 60 head start, 50 to 60 year head start about what's going on in the culture. And some people will go to a pastor instead of going to a counselor. They'll go to the pastor instead of going to their financial advisor. And so I have to be mindful of these situations and make sure that what I do does not stray away from the word. And I have to be big enough that if I do make a mistake, accept that I get called on it. But everything I say, you need to be able to go back into the Bible and find it. Don't just take my word for it. And you have to go back into the Bible and find it and not just take my word for it because even though I have a pastor title, you all have a pastoral mission. We all are commanded to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ and get to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But you all will preach more sermons than I ever will. I get about 30 minutes every Sunday. You all work with people 40 hours a day. You go to schools, you work with your children, you go to the store, you go to all these different places, and people deal with you not knowing that you are understanding that you're not a pastor, but you are somebody's perception of a Christian. You are the only Bible they will read. You are the only church service they will go to. So we all have to be held accountable to what's in Scripture. So we cannot stray away from it. And he says flat out, he pronounces God's severe judgment on them. He has this concern and he offers a curse. These are not play words. He meant what he said. He meant what he said so much that usually in a Pauline letter, we'd still be in the greeting in the first 10 to 15 verses. But he got immediately to the problem. Hey, how you doing? This letter's from Paul. Let me address some problems y'all doing wrong in this church. It's some mess going on. Y'all teaching a different gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's upsetting because it's not even a, a, a pagan gospel. It's not even something that's far out. Because if it was far out, it would be okay. But this is just a little bit off the mark. And sometimes being just a little bit off the mark can get you far off the mark by the end of it. So he says, he pronounces God's judgment on it. Those who add any additional requirements for salvation... Uh, to, if they had any additional requirements other than faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how excellent their credentials, if they twist the gospel into another form, they are preaching a false gospel. And they are going to be under God's condemnation. They are accursed. And the Greek word is anathema, which literally means to be placed on high or, or set a suspended or set aside. And when they say placed on high, that means it's hung out for everybody to see. That anathema was formerly a term that was about offerings and used in the temples for everything to be exposed to view. But when we get to the New Testament, that term uh, entails the loss of goods or exclusion from the society of the faithful. You cannot be a Christian outside of community, and you really could not be a Christian outside of community back then. If you had no community, you had no way to, to, to work. The financial system was not the same as there. You can get a whole lot done today, quote-unquote, by yourself if you get a check every now and then. 
because you can take that check and get money and buy stuff. But back then, you needed the help of the community. Everybody talked to one another because this person might have something you need and this person might have something you need. And so they talked to each other. And so to be removed from the community was almost like a death sentence. They were set aside. And this is important because the human predicament is not that just we have sin and need forgiveness, but we have to get rid of the compulsion that we are enslaved to and we need liberation. These are life or death matters we are talking about. It's not time to play about them. Sin is not something we've just grown past. Sin is not just something we put to the side. This is serious business. And that is why Paul got immediately to it in the church of Galatia. And then we go from the, the concern to back to his call. Again, he says it is not of man. The gospel was not compiled by any human authority, region, reason, or logic. His authority is not man-made. If his authority was man-made, that meant man could unmake it. But he got it from God. And it was communicated to Paul by none other than Jesus Christ. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Met him. And from there, he got his authority. It wasn't about education. It was about his revelation. Paul had education. But he was using that education to go against the church. When he got the revelation, he brought the church farther along. Now, I'm not downing education, but we have to understand about the revelation of Jesus Christ. If God be for you, no one can be against you. If God be for you, it don't matter whether you have an eighth grade education or you are a PhD. If God be for you, God will take whatever you have and make it better. And God was the one who called him and God is the one who calls us to do this work. It's not a human construction. And it's in the grace of God is embodied and enacted by Jesus' death. His death on the cross that Friday morning on a hill called Calvary. But because he did that, we have grace. It's not anything we deserve. It's not anything we've earned. It's God's gift. And God's gift is enough. How dare we take the greatest gift that God could give us and try to add to it? That gift's not good enough. I'm going to take it back to the store and get something better. You can't get nothing better. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work it. And because of that grace, we are children of God. It allows us to participate in God's mission of transforming the world. That is what we're here to do. We're here to teach others about Jesus. And if we're going to teach others about Jesus, we need to know what's right. We need to know that he was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried, and, and rose from the dead on the third day with all power in his hand. We ought to teach that he ascended into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And we ought to teach that he's coming back. But we ought to teach that his, his sacrifice was enough. We ought not teach that there needs to be something else on to it. God's grace is sufficient, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures for all generations. 
in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.